Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. <sighs> The only thing better than grinding all night for your side hustle is your roommate picking you up with Mickey D's breakfast. The perfect pickup deal. There's a deal for every morning at McDonald's. Right now, taste breakfast perfection when you get a warm and savory sausage McMuffin with egg for just $2.50. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Ready and there will be no encore. Welcome to episode 139 of the No Encore yeah. Music Podcast, the podcast that's mostly music podcast, but occasionally hosts quizzes. And that's right. Yeah, I finally set up the page. Woo! Ah. Congratulations! Thanks very much. Yeah, it only that's took me good. two weeks. Lovely page it is too. It's a good page. If you go to uh, no. check it out, even if you don't want to go, just check out the page. Yeah, it's on Eventbrite. So if you go to Eventbrite and search No Encore Quiz, it's where all the cool kids are hanging out. These that's days. where you'll Eventbrite. get it. I'm not going to. I'm not going to like list out a big link on here. So uh, <laughs> here's the thing, right? Go to the No Encore Twitter account at No Encore Show or at Hanready Dave on Twitter, and you'll see that I posted the link there. Uh, we have. Uh, X amount of tables up for grabs in the Workman's Club on Wednesday the yeah. 19th flying out like table hotcakes yeah cakes. go fast no like. encore quiz of the year uh, we put tickets on sale this morning and they're already selling so like that's not just a yeah. oh they're already, they actually are already selling just gather your team gather get your, your team, team together. and buy get it get your up. squad I think actually squad. as well like if you buy a table instead of a singular ticket you get some money off right that's possibly thing? yeah I think so it's I like mean, 35 and 10 for uh, I mean Eventbrite is a complicated space doll, you know? <laughs> and I just feel like I, I don't want to mess with it it's like a house of cards so it's 10 or per person Person, but you're going to come with a group, right? So it's yeah, teams 35 per table. Uh, there's some booking fee situation. But, but also, there, if but, you've yeah. no friends, come along as well. And yeah, make friends. Well, but if you've no yeah. friends, yeah. Just, we're your friends. Yeah, just find three other people who also have no friends yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who will be going to the quiz and go with them. But no, I mean, like, legit, it's a really fun night. We did it for the first time last year. It was great crack. It was a sold out show. 
And there was really, really good prizes up for grabs. There'll be more of those again. They were almost too good. <laughs> they were pretty good prizes. They were wasted yeah, on us uh, a bit yeah. and our audience. <laughs> we'll see. And yeah, it's going to be like a pop culture smackdown of 2018. It's all about 2018. A lot of music questions because we're a music podcast, but also movies, TV, sport, general knowledge, and who knows what else. Wednesday, December 19th, Workman's Club. Eventbrite, No Encore, Quiz of the Year 2018. Come along. Uh, but first, <clears throat> congratulations go out to Michael D. Higgins, who was re-elected uh, as president of our for the seven years. And I think what swung it for him in the end was a video <laughs> that was produced by a friend of the show, Brendan Canty, in which a certain Dahio Droni did the sound mix for... Do you think that that was the the bump that got him across the line? I think it definitely was. He delivered yeah, the yeah. largest mandate for an Irish president yeah. in history. I mean, by association, can we call Michael D. Higgins a friend of the show yes, as well? Yes, we can. Oh, yeah. yeah, Michael D. Higgins, friend of the show. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there will be an encore for Michael D. Higgins <laughs> as he takes his second term in the presidency. Despite him saying he would not run again and thus being a... Lo- no, oh. I'm only joking. He's a legend. Did you um. vote for? <laughs> that sounds like... Yeah. That sounds like he may have been... Mr. Casey. Yeah. <laughs> no, I did not. Don't. Don't. John. Don't. Don't. Don't at me. me. <laughs> <laughs> Sean Gallagher. <laughs> yeah. I just Man of the people, Sean I just want to make it happen. Um, so yeah, that uh, happened last weekend. I was yeah, w- it was great. Uh, Brendan Canty of uh, Feel Good Lost um, fame uh, well, put together this uh, crack team of professionals who all volunteered their time and effort to uh, make... Um, Miggle these uh, like promo video. Do you hear this? I didn't charge the president. Matrates. Nobility of it all. Matrates. But uh, it was really good. It was. It was great. It was like a. It's a good video. You should go check it out on his uh, his old page. There's a there's a certain young poet in that video as well. There is Mr. David Keenan. Mr. David Keenan's in there. Mr. David Keenan's in there. Yeah. In there. Dennis Kilty did the music. He's a fantastic composer as well. It's very very good. Yeah, very good. Um, and that sweet voiceover was done by yours truly. So uh, appreciate the the audio quality. And hang there. on, was it? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I record. I had I had to set up a mic in a, like a tiny little corner of a room and got him to speak. There was a moment where it was just me, Michael D. Higgins, and Brendan Canty, and like he was doing this voiceover and like doing his his Michael D. thing, and yeah. I was like, oh my god! And then he turns to us, and there's a piece of audio where like he says the thing, and he goes, "How was that?" And myself and Brendan's like, it was, "It was very good. Thanks very much. You're great." <laughs> did he do? He, he did like a third grace. Like, oh, you're great. <laughs> I'll do one more. He, he did. He took he took two takes on one of them, and he like rewrote some of the stuff that was like written out and stuff, and he was like. I've done this before. We were like, you <laughs> like Ghostface Legend. Killer or something. He was, he was amazing. He was what really, really good. And I believe Brendan County found out that they're, that they're somehow related. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're never going to hear the end of I that I have one. a theory that he says that to all of the people that he works with, that he goes, yeah, my, my grandmother was a County. Well, like, I'll have you know person. that Brendan swallowed a hook, line, and sinker. So. <laughs> oh, he really took to it. Yeah, let's yeah, not, yeah, let's not shatter that dream for him. <laughs> but we will move on because um, a shattering of a different kind occurred on Friday evening at Vicker Street as Craig and I went to a gig. Yeah. What do we go to, Craig? We saw Mr. Julian Casablanca's and his voids, or the voids, as they're now known. They're the voids. He's dropped the frontmanning, at least in terms of putting it in front of the name of the band. Yes. They released their second album, Virtue, this year. Now, Craig, everyone knows who Julian Casablanca's is, because we all know who the Strokes are. But if anyone doesn't know who the voids are, a bit of a primer? Um, So they've released album number two. The first one, quite avant-garde, lots of noisy stuff. It seemed like a kind of... Not a vanity project, but a way of Julian getting out is more kind of like esoteric leanings and um, basically getting away from the popular elements of the strokes, I guess. But um, really stepped up to the plate on the second record and um, I enjoyed the gig. Um, 
it was an interesting venue to see them in as well. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It was it, it was a combative show. I mean, yeah. there was they were late on stage. There were some technical problems. Yeah, there was sound checking mid gig. Craig was annoyed that the guitar was so loud and Julian's vocals were so low. During the first track, Julian <laughs> Casablanca got, got on the ground. He would routinely walk off stage and sit on the drum riser. And I was like, oh, what's he's wearing sunglasses? Yeah, it just but felt it, like you know. Then a circle pit started up in the middle of it for no reason. Uh, yeah, that was the band ridiculous. themselves look like something out of a horror movie. The guitarist Jeremy Gritter <laughs> has like clown like makeup. Well, on. this was the thing. It all seemed kind of weirdly fitting and apt yeah, it, it felt did. like you know they're a band that should have been playing some kind of basement in New York in the 80s and having all those problems and it adding Ooh. to the show yeah it got more and more compelling the more it went on and I enjoyed it it was a strange experience and a stranger experience occurred for yeah. me shortly afterwards in which I interviewed Julian Casablancas yeah. at midnight in the green room. <laughs> it was so weird. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah, because we were like, essentially, I I was chasing this interview down. Uh, this interview, by the way, listener, will run on No Encore on the next episode, not on this one, because we have an interview on this episode already coming up with a, a, a great photographer by the name of Ruth Mejbear. But we'll get That's there. Right. We'll get there later. We don't want to overpack the show, but yes. Yeah, so essentially. Speaking to the tour manager who uh, came and got me, having you know moved the interview back, uh, and it was, yeah, it was one of those. Is it going to happen? We were standing we were in like, the bar of Vicar Street at like half eleven, and I was like, I'm pretty sure they've gone. Like, I'm pretty sure this isn't going to happen. It's let's play a joke on the journalist, but they were very nice. They <laughs> put me on the guest list, so I was like, they do it every but, show. Yeah, is that a thing? No, but I was like, what an elaborate ruse to email me saying we're going to no be late TV on stage. Sets out of like hotel room windows anymore. It's just like set up an interview and never show. I mean, I'd respect it, you know, but uh, no. In the end. The interview occurred. It yeah. was a strange chat, and you get to hear it very soon. Yeah, yeah, we're excited. Uh, but at uh, the end of the weekend, Dahi, you went to a festival. Yeah, I was at Metropolis. Um, I was playing one of the after parties in the Button Factory on the Saturday night. Um, Metropolis was an interesting one. Uh, it's had a kind of a track record in the last while of kind of aiming for younger audiences and stuff. Mm. Um, they made it over twenty ones this year, um, and it was kind of strange. It was um, the the, fir- the first day was basically uh, the Villager show. Villagers was putting the whole thing together. He he was playing the kind of the headline slot, um, and he had David. Doherty kind of doing a, a fire on tea kind of thing um, he had Friendly Fires playing and David Keenan and Junior Brother but they had closed off one of the stages uh, which was in my opinion probably the main stage the second day um, there was one stage where it was just Junior Brother and David Keenan and it felt very very small and very very empty and then the other stage was basically just um, Connor from Villers and, and um, Friendly Fires and one or two other acts earlier um, it felt kind of like a very weird kind of there was a weird atmosphere about the place and then the second day was absolutely Absolutely packed with acts. It was like full of full of like different people, like really really good dance acts, like Honey Dijon um, and uh, and Black Madonna, um, and then it also had like Young Fathers, who were absolutely incredible. It was Blood Orange's first gig in Ireland. He said, "Is that a thing?" That sounds right. Yeah, yeah. very well. So it was his be, first yeah. ever gig, which was like pretty amazing. Um, yeah, and he Mac was very, DeMarco very good. And Roshi Murphy in there as Mac well. Mac DeMarco was in there as well. And uh, yeah, it, like I don't get Mac DeMarco at yeah, all. Yeah, let's talk about that. Dahi was. Um, <laughs> I don't get it at all. This was a very bank holiday Sunday uh, message to get off Dahi, where I was like, I think he might have had a couple of beers. <laughs> You basically in his cups. <laughs> you, you buried Mac Demarco. Like, I, okay, like What's I understand the, the Mac Demarco thing, where like there's obviously this inc- incredible like people are very very obsessed with this act, right? And he's like really really big into the thing. When I got there, there was um, like a girl who was absolutely bawling her eyes out at the sound check, like completely freaking out that he was there, and like everybody was just very very serious about the whole thing. And when he came on stage and he played, I mean, it sounded fine. I always assumed that like I never got the albums really 
and I was just like, I assumed that this show was going to be unbelievable because this is what people must be obsessed by. It was really disappointing, I felt. And then, like, Roshi Murphy came on straight afterwards and blew everybody out of the water. It was just absolutely incredible. Young Fathers was on before him, way better. Blood Orange, way better. Um, it just felt very, very strange, and I don't, I don't really understand it at all. It's hmm. a festival that seems to kind of switch its identity up every now and then. Yeah. Do you feel that that's a deliberate move, or is it the case that this is who we can get? I mean, it's, it's, it's outside looking in. I, I'm not sure Metropolis knows what it is. It was, it was really strange. I, I found it very, very strange. And even, um, like, uh, Villagers was, um, like, a very, very good show now I had to leave the villager show about halfway through because I was playing in the button factory but friends of mine who were at the show were saying that um, like at one point there was a lot of dudes who actually had this big fight in the middle of the audience which is a very non-villagers a thing up at a villager <laughs> there was a big punch <laughs> up and like at one point Connor had to like stop up and kind of go like why the hell are you fighting like kind of thing and then they were saying that like there was young people on the bus on the way back who were kind of going like what the hell was that festival that was so weird there was no dance music that was really really strange uh, yeah. and then they came back the second night and it was like there was an entire stage dedicated completely to dance music if you bought a weekend ticket you had two completely different festivals yeah, that you went to you know very strange um, but all in all I mean it was there was some incredible acts who were playing and some of the shows were absolutely brilliant and it's actually quite nice to be inside in a nice gig in dry areas and stuff like that you yeah know? of course and like that's it just like that inaugural vinyl festival from this summer all over again mm. where like it was a series of talks yeah, based yeah, around yeah. vinyl and the, I went to it on one of the days and there were like, you know, festival stereotypes milling around <laughs> looking very confused. <laughs> and it's just like people who like go... Dave. Yeah. <laughs> it's like people who go, where's the drop? Uh, it's, like, it's like people who go to the cinema and just like, you know, look at a poster and like go like, oh, Colin Farrell's on that one. I'll go to that. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. This yeah. is a thing. I don't know if it's an exclusively an Irish thing or if it's just a mass market thing. Because I th- I think, yeah, I'm not even saying read the small print. Look at the lineup. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but you know, I mean, there would be some people. I mean, you can argue that like a lot of people would be doing this thing where they go to one festival one year. They have such a good time that they go buying tickets. Doesn't matter. Buying tickets for the next year, or whatever. <laughs> True. Um. So there was there. There probably is people like that, and I can't help but feel that like if you're going to change up that heavily each year, I mean, it's a weird one, you know. Well, what route should it go? Do, like, can it keep changing up, or should it? Like, does is there a proper identity for Metropolis that it just needs to settle on? I mean, I, I guess the promoters also do um, all together now, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so you know, they might be aiming for that to be their big fish now, as opposed to Metropolis. Right, right, right. We'll stay on Metropolis, but first, coming up later in the show, like I say, a really good interview with Ruth Mejbear, a review of Tom York's soundtrack to the film Suspiria, and a review of that film as well, because Dahi mm-hmm. and I caught it on Halloween night, and the return of Slipknot, all to come later in the show. <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> but first, we stay on Metropolis, and yeah, I mean, you talk about the future of Metropolis. I think the future of Metropolis is very much. No one really knows right now because of the tragic news that broke shortly after I recorded the last episode of the podcast. Music promoter John Reynolds, uh, a very beloved figure in the Irish music scene, uh, passed away at his home in Dublin at the age of 52 last Thursday evening. One of Ireland's leading independent festival and concert promoters, his company Pod, have founded the likes of Electric Picnic, Forbidden Fruit and Metropolis and operated the Pod nightclub at the historic Harcourt Street train station for almost two decades. Um, the funeral took place on the same day that we are recording. I believe Paul Buchanan was among people who were really? singing okay. at the service, mm-hmm. and uh, I believe it was obviously a very sad and packed-out affair. Um, Dahi, I mean, you know, it's it's very tough to kind of put this one into any kind of context because we don't really have much yeah, yeah. in terms of like a relationship. I, I didn't know the man. Yeah. Knew him of reputation. And I assume, as someone who's been playing a bunch of festivals for your career so far, obviously, I'm sure your paths must have crossed a couple of times, or at least the reputation of... 
For, for sure, yeah, yeah. I mean, he was always the very much like even when I came in, he was always already at this like higher echelon level where like I wouldn't even be like kind of dealing with him all that much, but you would meet him on occasion. Um, it's really, really interesting to see. Like, I mean, the list out of that legacy is incredible. Like, you know what I mean? And the thing that kind of a lot of people forget as well is that he's actually brought up a load of younger people into the kind of the being a promoter you know what I mean I mean I remember when I was when I first started playing there was these like really incredible people who were doing like college gigs and they were like putting on these really really good parties and like um, John Reynolds would, would come in and pick them up and like rise them up as well so like he's done an actually an amazing job of, of building a kind of a next generation of people who were really you know um, who are putting on these massive events you know the one thing that I saw from a lot of people who would be working in the industry especially sound guys and tech guys and stuff and this stuff is that like he knew how to put on a party was what everybody really said is that like he totally understand this stuff and was a bit of a like a, a maverick you know what I mean yeah. when Electric Picnic started people were like you saw that video that came out like this year it's like people were kind of like this thing is crazy what do you do yeah like, like he did <laughs> you know he did so much for the industry but he did a lot for the culture i guess in yeah, ireland as well sure. um and seemed like just everything online seemed to point towards just a really generous fellow as you were mm-hmm. saying giving people help up and just an all-around good dude and way too early to go yeah. yeah one of my friends messaged me and she was saying that she was very cut up about it despite having never met the man and she was saying he gave me so many great nights so many great weekends thing, and I never yeah. got to thank him mm-hmm. and like that's the thing where you, you just assume he'd be a fixture of there you know for many more years to yeah. come uh, yeah very very sad news leaves behind a tremendous legacy and you know may he rest in peace moving on with the news uh, there's a profile in the Washington Post that's been doing the rounds in recent days, people have had a big reaction to it. A lot of music journalists, a lot of music fans, and a lot of casual people, I guess, who don't really care one way or the other. Um, <laughs> because it's the nature of a viral thing. It's a hit piece. Post Malone has been taken in in a hit piece uh, written by a guy called Jeff Weiss. And essentially, it's quite a long read. Um, a lot of people are saying this is one of the best bad, like, you know, like negative reviews that has come along in a long time. Mm. I thought it was pretty bad. I didn't think it was very good. Now, when it comes to Post Malone, I don't really have much of a dog in the fight. Uh, if anything, I've begun to kind of be like, actually, I think he gets a bit of a hard time. I don't really care what the guy looks like. And this uh, review or profile, rather, it does because mm. it starts off. And the first thing this guy, Jeff Wise, does is take him down based on his appearance. And he says the most popular young artist in the most unpopular young nation is a rhinestone cowboy. who looks like he crawled out of a primordial swamp of nacho cheese. Post Malone is a Halloween, a Halloween rental, a removable platinum grill, a cubic zirconium proposal on the jumbo screen of a last place team. And it goes on from there. Yeah, now, I've read the whole piece, and the piece to me is exceptionally overwritten. Uh, overwritten is the book. It's so <laughs> overwritten. This guy... He enjoyed it. He enjoyed writing. Yeah, he enjoyed writing. Now, look, hey, listen, I've written, I've written my fair share of takedowns. I've done it. Uh, like I've, I, I wrote an, a, a review of a Jesse J album a few years ago, and I wrote it with the intention of it being a takedown. I'm not too ashamed to fucking admit it. But I... I'm going Her career's on. never recovered. <laughs> yeah. Except for in Ch- she had to move to China, I believe. She's doing fine. She's found, found love with Channing Tatum recently. Good for her. So, I mean, essentially, I don't think I, 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 I overstepped the line and made it personal. At least I don't think I did. Maybe I did. Maybe I did so with the stripes as well when I gave them a bit of a kick in when they were coming along in their dad's suits with the dad's music and I objected to that. Fine. Hold on. The suits were cool. You learn from these things. <laughs> However, this to me felt too happy with itself, felt too gleeful. This motherfucker loves a comparison. I mean, like... Mm. 
mm. it got to stage where he would just like end his paragraphs all the same way by putting in like four or five comparisons and analogies and I'm like yeah I get it I'm not here for this piece and I'm not here for people who are like it's brilliant it's the best thing I've read in a long time and it's not just because of the, the Post Malone appearance thing which by the way is one of the cheapest shots out there yeah well, Post Malone's got face tattoos and could use a bit of a shave who cares but it's screams of someone giving out about like oh that punk rock and that Johnny Rotten back in like That's, the late that 70s is what it smacks do you know yeah, what I mean yeah, it's yeah. just a kind of this has been like a through the ages yeah. thing where consistently I mean the other thing that that's kind of worth noting as well is that I mean I think it's pretty clear to everyone right now that Post Malone is having quite a serious drinking problem like that he seems to be very very hammered on stage at all times and this writer kind of goes in on that and kind of goes like yeah. oh well the show is terrible he's slurring his words he's well, terrible yeah, the context I mean, is that he went to the first ever Post Malone festival which, yeah, which should yeah, yeah. tell you how big Post Malone is right now it's kind of gotten mm-hmm. a bit out of control and yeah it does sound like Post Malone is burning out in front of our eyes. And again, are we? do we want to encourage this? This piece just almost says, like, come up and take your shot. Don't get me wrong. The criticisms of his music are quite valid. I don't particularly rate Post Malone that highly. I also don't think he's, he's far from the worst. He's this got, is a, the thing. He's got I, a couple tracks I actually really like. I actually really like Post Malone, like, a, a fair bit. And, like, I mean, I think this is probably a silly thing to say, but when you talk about comparisons and stuff, you know, if you compare it to a lot of these, like, kind of mumble rapper people that, like, a lot of people would be listening to, yeah. his songs are actually at a higher level than they are. I feel um, like he's good, like, entry level, if you're getting into this genre of music, mm. he will be a good gateway for, you know, teenagers and stuff. And do you know what? Every generation needs those kind of people. Um, yeah. And he's, he's doing huge numbers. Was it half a... Insane. Number. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, something like a billion views on Rockstar. Listen yeah, to Rockstar he Spotify. shifted half a million copies of that new album inside a week in the US. He's Beer colossal. Bombs. And like, <laughs> Beer bombs and Bentleys, But also, yeah. like, he's, he seems like a harmless guy. I mean, yeah. he was on Jimmy Fallon recently and he kept calling Jimmy Thank Fallon, you, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. And they're all like, oh, look at this clown in his tattoos and his suit saying sir I, how quaint but, but also he, I don't know if, like, nice dude. This, like, this isn't like some new phenomenon that's like oh he's tainting music and the you know it's at worst it's like oh he's the new kid rock kind of and that's yeah. doing him a disservice but you know what I mean oh maybe there'll be a Post Malone cruise <laughs> oh, <laughs> I would go, go on, on I would absolutely <laughs> 100% live yeah. show <laughs> I don't know I just felt that this was like, like I'm all for a well written takedown and don't get me wrong the guy can write but this mm-hmm. is punching down and it's proud of it Itself, and I just thought it was a bit ridiculous. Yeah. So sure there look. you go. Bit also a bit ridiculous <laughs> is uh, Michael Jackson is the highest earning dead celebrity. He'll be disappointed with that because he can't spend the money because, as noted, he's dead. Uh, <laughs> for the sixth year in a row, Craig. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Can I bring, can I bring, he's on quite the run. <laughs> can, I bring, can I bring back News Talk business journalist Craig Fitzpatrick for this one, please? <laughs> sure, yeah. What do you want me to properly crunch the numbers? Break this down. Well, I just... Okay, the most, like... The shocking thing to me was that, like, compared to... In second place, we have Elvis Presley, the king of rock and roll in this case, both royalty, obviously. He earned $40 million. Michael Jackson earned $400 million. That's quite the discrepancy, right? Now, there was some, like, um, publishing deal done, which greatly inflated that. But even when you take it out, he's shifting, like, so much, you know, genuine physical units of music as well still. Don't forget the the Drake feature. Don't forget that. Oh, yeah. It don't matter to me, was it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, was that much of a smash? Was the publishing deal worth $360 million? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Pretty good one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, yeah, it strikes me as... Yeah, it's just it, it, it's strange to me because obviously prior to his passing, he'd been off a lot of people's radar for quite a while. I mean, he yeah. hadn't contributed much to his musical legacy for years. He was obviously planning that massive comeback, which um, you know the, the kind of grueling nature of it didn't certainly didn't help 
his health. Um, but yeah, I suppose in debt, you're just kind of always going to be bigger, aren't you? <laughs> oh my god <laughs> <laughs> fucking Ulysses over here what the hell um, yeah so I find these lists really strange um, they seem almost pointless to me but here's the list Michael Jackson Elvis Presley Arnold Palmer Charles Schultz Bob Marley Dr. Seuss Hugh Hefner Marilyn Monroe Prince and John Lennon all playing at the pretty gates near you the Bob Marley one surprises <laughs> me like surely that's mainly merch right it's yeah. just his or face he, he got the Bohemian Wanderers Way jersey bump do you <laughs> have you seen that jersey no I have not have you not seen it no Bob Marley has a Daily Man Park thing because he played there in like 1981 or 71 or whenever it was and there's a mural of Bob Marley on uh, at like is it they okay, play at Tolka Park is that what they play? Yeah, yeah, Don't yeah. at me, League of Rome fans. I don't watch it. <laughs> uh, so essentially, yeah, they've recently brought out their away jersey, or are about to, and it's got a Bob Marley decal on it. And everyone's like, this is an outrage, but it's genius advertising because it's popped up everywhere. I'm surprised you, working in the advertising industry, are, you know, unaware of this. <laughs> it seems break. more marketing to me, but oh. whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, how would you market the return of John Bon Jovi? He's coming back to the RDS with the Manic Street Preachers in support. <laughs> what is happening? They're already doing their own gig in the Olympia for an album they don't like. <laughs> They're making some very strange decisions at the moment. Uh, I'm not sure I'm happy. Like Leonard Cohen's business <laughs> manager yeah. or accountant has taken over the reins um, there. The this hell? is also a weird decision from John Bon Jovi who's usually what kind of an amiable guy yeah, I guess yeah, yeah. isn't he? Like he doesn't I can't remember him ever coming out with some like Noel Gallagher-esque kind of like I mean, it's, here's a, my... it's such a crazy hot take as well it's like oh my god yeah he's, he's gone saying, after he's, he's gone, gone after, after Kim, Kim Kardashian <laughs> <laughs> hey, pretty repulsively to be fair yeah I mean, he's, he's criticised her for becoming famous for making a porno. It's, it's, and then like, never watched which, the thing that made her famous, which is the TV show. It's right? just yeah. your dad comments. Like, so like, oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, fucking yeah. porno, is it? Yeah. Hey. But actually, the thing that made her famous was her dad getting a perfectly innocent man. Of <laughs> 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 I can't finish We that all sentence. read the court report. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we all know that O.J. Simpson did nothing wrong. <laughs> Love you, Juice. Uh, okay, uh, maybe we should walk that one back. We're kidding. Uh, humor, humor, yeah, humor. Humor, humor. Um, <laughs> He'll never stop being the juice, as David Trimmer said. Um, but show. yeah, he made a point of saying that he'd never watch a show. I don't even know their names. I've never watched six, 60 seconds of their show. Um, I love it. I love when people just volunteer ignorance as part of an argument. <laughs> just to bolster it. He, yeah, he continued. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> What's going no to be in your autobiography? I made a porno on Guess What? I got famous. Blah, blah, blah. Um, it's a bit so, misogynistic, isn't it, John? It is a bit, yeah. Um, I'm shocked uh, that the man who wrote Slippery When Wet would... Uh, come <laughs> and this is another thing. How much of that did he actually write? Yeah, oh. All those big <laughs> Bon Jovi hits, you look at the writing credits and there's one extra dude who wasn't in the band that seemed to be very good at writing well, songs. Well, Bon Jovi and the Manics have a history together as it is, so... Yeah, so it I makes was... sense, Craig. <sighs> Call off your dog. Well, you know, the Monastery Preachers, as much as they like grew up on Public Enemy, they also grew up on like really cheesy hair metal. And if you've heard any of their solos, you would know that. And yeah, Guns N' Roses as well, which is slightly less cheesy. But they actually played with Bon Jovi in um, the 90s. And Nicky Wars talked about it and he said, yeah, we did two gigs with them in Milton Keynes Bowl, that famous um, <laughs> venue. And um, there wasn't a lot of interactions, to be honest. We were incredibly shit. We played a terrible set. It was 1992, I think. I remember John Bon Jovi coming on and thanking the bands. It's been a fantastic night and I'd like to thank everyone who supported us, starting with the Maniacs. Well, <laughs> I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> the Maniacs are back. <laughs> I tell you, like, that Top Gear dad anthem, that Buka Jeans track on their new album, Resistance is Future. 
futile, whatever the song is called. I can't quite recall. Which one is it? There's a track on it which is really like. Oh, it's the riff sounds like it's like nah, BBC nah, Sunday nah, afternoon nah, kind of. Yeah, it makes yeah. a lot more sense now. You're gonna get the call by yeah. Big JBJ <laughs> while they were making the album. He's like, "You guys get any bangers in you? Yeah, of course we do, man. Here we go. Bon Jovi, my first ever gig. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, Where was nice. it? In the RDS. Milton Keynes Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, supported by the Maniacs. Uh, it was in the RDS Outdoor in, I think, 2000. Uh, it was on the Crush Tour, and uh, they were supported by Andreas Johnson of Glorious Fame, and a young Bellex one. Wow. Bellex. Hold on. How are you at this gig? 2000? You were, like, deep into your new metal bag no, at this I point. No, I hadn't quite started yet. No, I was kind of, like, living on my mate's CDs. Living on a prayer. Living on a prayer. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Oh, nearly got yeah, yeah. Too easy, too easy. Uh, It was a hot summer night. <laughs> Come on, come on, make the obvious joke. I already did it this week on Today FM. <laughs> so, uh, but I had a great time, and I've, I've said this before. I'll say it again. Bon Jovi's a hell of a showman. I don't think he's particularly good at making music, <laughs> but you know, the people who go to the gig will get exactly what they want. They'll get their bad medicine. And they'll drink it down. Yeah, That's he's got really happen. good teeth as well. Yeah, that's that, that'll happen winning if you have smile. access to millions of dollars and yeah. personal trainers. And Disconcertingly so. So um, Speaking of a winning smile. Speaking of a winning smile, <laughs> Donald Trump. <laughs> oh, is that what you were <laughs> The 45th president of the United States is in hot water musically yet again. Why, Dahi? Um, basically, he uh, has he's got he's running out of space on his iPod, basically. He's trying to play <laughs> as many tracks as possible and like people keep coming back and going, you can't play any of my songs. Um, Pharrell Williams is the latest to kind of... Uh, um, remove himself from any uh, Trump rallies. Um, Trump apparently came out um, uh, to the singer song "Happy." Um, <laughs> Jesus Christ! Uh, I mean, at an event in Indiana on country Saturday, country in flames. Like, yeah. On Saturday, which was the Pittsburgh singing and shooting, like that day, the like, worst, uh, like the, the the biggest fucking worst mass like atrocity attack on Jewish people on American soil ugh. apparently ever. And yeah, Donald Trump strolls. I shouldn't be laughing. Donald Trump st- strolls to a rally and plays "Happy" by Pharrell. I mean, look, listen. There's just nothing new to say about this guy. Tone Deaf doesn't even come into it, but again, I just love the idea of like Pharrell writing a cease and desist letter. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Presumably while Happy plays. And also, I'm, like, I'm sorry, that song is hot garbage. Yeah, it's atrocious. I, I mean, really hate this it. This obviously happens a lot, particularly with the incumbent president, where bands will just make a stand and they don't want their music being used in that yeah. way. My favourite was when Johnny Marr told David Cameron he wasn't allowed to like his music, <laughs> which was fantastic. He <laughs> <laughs> wasn't even using it, just was on like Desert Island Discs and talking about how much you love the Smiths. He's like, no, I forbid you for, yeah. for liking the Smiths, which is great. I mean, you can also kind of say as well, in fairness, like I doubt like even the Trump campaign would even pick the tracks right it's like probably whoever's like setting up the system or whatever and just like we need some music before he goes on or whatever oh jeez I've got happy on repeat over here random Spotify player (laughs) and other news hit that music attention everyone one one shut up Craig on Kanye It must mean Yandy's out, right? Because we said we weren't talking about... Is it November 23rd? No, it's not. But we have Kanye West back. Or do we? For how long? (laughs) For the next 48 minutes? Usually we leave the studio, check our phones, and something else has happened on Twitter with Kanye West. Um, But no, he um, got on social media and basically said he's getting out of politics... And I relaxed. <laughs> and yeah, it seems like good news. He's basically saying he understands now that he's been used um, and that, yeah, basically different parties have taken him and kind of exploited him to promote their own message, which seems slightly disingenuous to me. <laughs> like a lot of the things he's done have been kind of of his own volition, but do you know what? I'm glad he's back. 
He's back. Yeah. He's back. I'll see that uh, he's back. Uh, he's testing he's testing my patience. Yandy better be good. Yandy better he, be well, good. Well, he went to Uganda. He's been recording you in Uganda, so. Alrighty. Yeah. Well, speaking of colossal egos in the music industry, there's a great music <laughs> photography exhibition coming up, and here to tell us all about that is our old friend Ruth Mejbear. Delighted to be joined on No Encore by the one and only Ruth Mejber. Yeah. Oh my god, 10 out of 10 for pronunciation of my name, by the way. It's That's in amazing. your email. It <laughs> says you have a phonetic yeah. description, which to be... Okay, let's start with Necessary. that. Necessary. Let's start with that before I even introduce you properly. How annoying is it to work in an industry where no one knows how to pronounce your name? I, it's my life. No one has ever known how to pronounce my name, even in school. It's just something that I was cursed with since. Like, actually, I shouldn't say curse because that's really offensive to like my dad. But it's just, it's just my Bring name. Curse. Well. Like, yes. My dad. Yeah, I love my dad. You know, honor and respect and all that. But yeah, that's just my name. Okay. Uh, well, who is Ruth Mejbear is the question. I mean, like, it's a bit of a cliche to say one of the hardest working people in whatever. But, like, to be fair, to be fair, Ruth is an amazing photographer who hails from, I wouldn't say hails from, but we, Craig and I first stumbled upon Ruth in our old shared stomping ground of Hot Press magazine. Yeah. Stumbling is probably correct. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, eventually, Ruth, uh, much like we did, tired of that and went out on her own set up ruthless imagery which still goes today and is quite a popular uh i guess photo haven for people who are into that kind of thing uh music photographer you do a lot of other stuff as well rarely seen without a camera often at pretty much every big and good gig to go to and usually kind of running around looking like you're about to pass out but you still pull it through and deliver that's a bit of an insult no but to be fair dreadful i said said hardest working and it's actually true for once it is it really is it really is so the point is ruth uh you have an next exhibition coming up in which you'll get to <laughs> chill out for once i'm gonna stop talking i don't get to chill out at the exhibition i am the most stressed i've ever been in my life um <laughs> and just even the launch party of it's just gonna be bananas and then i'm gonna have to be there every day and i'm gonna have to be like selling prints and schmoozing yeah. with people and the schmoozing with people is something i dread i'm grand when i'm photographing people but schmoozing them oh my god but it's only like a decade of your life being dis- dissected by complete strangers <laughs> think about it i'm actually terrified i saw an instagram you were breaking enjoying. down it was like th- hundreds and thousands of millions of photos and you yeah. had to pick like specific ones that must have been so yeah. difficult because if it's it is over ten years that I've been shooting and it is millions of photographs yeah. because each gig I'd at least take like if it's a big gig and I'm on a, a big tour and I get to shoot the whole thing you're talking like two thousand photographs per show Jesus um and over so many years it's we're definitely oh up God. there um Yeesh. yeah so I've had the task of the last um five days sitting just me and my mountain of hard drives trying to pick my best images. So how, how did you even go about picking them? I asked Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know where it is. Sold out to social media. It's no, strange. someone pointed out on Twitter that it's uh, I am letting the public curate their own exhibition. I was like, grand, yeah, I'll take that. Uh, no, I got really lazy and when I couldn't choose between two photographs of the same act, I just asked Instagram in a snazzy little Instagram poll and I cheated. No, but in fairness though, there was a handful of shots that I was like they have to be in the show they're mm. my like my defining shots and then the rest of them I ended up going back through the gigs through the whole set of the gig not just so take for example The Cure who I 
don't actually remember even photographing. I think it might have been Electric Picnic. I'm not sure. They probably don't remember it either. <laughs> How could they forget me? <laughs> but um, I photographed them. And then, so I opened up um, the whole album of Cure photographs. So not just the ones I initially picked for editorial. So for editorial, I'd pick maybe six photographs and send them off to press. Mm. But for this, I went back and looked through the entire set. And I actually found some really good photographs that I had overlooked the first time. Right. And then I edited them in my style that, that I edit now. And I was like, oh, my God, that's that's way better than what I originally <laughs> picked. It was, like, it was like winning the little lotto. I was like, that's deadly. Now the cure are going in the show. That, so. <laughs> so the exhibition, the show itself, I should note, is called Ruthless, A Decade of Live Music Photography. It takes place at the Fumbly Exchange on Dame Lane in Dublin 2 from Friday the 23rd of November until Sunday the 2nd of December. And it's all free. Yeah, <laughs> but do also come down and buy things essentially yes. that, that thing but okay so I mean was it just I've been doing this for 10 years I might as well show everything or like like what was it that kind of prompted it because one, I mean, I think the last time I was talking to you properly was probably at Electric Picnic and we were both being like god I'm tired I'm just so tired I hate my job I hate my life it's terrible and now you're like fuck that let's celebrate <laughs> getting emotional at a festival <laughs> what it doesn't like any of us yeah. um yeah, you caught me at my worst moment because at the end of festival season, I am knackered. I've yeah, just done oh all God. the festivals and that was my 13th electric picnic and I get cranky and I get tired and my feet hurt and I'm just watching everyone around me get drunk and have the greatest time ever and I'm just like, I hate you all. <laughs> but I was like, there's Ruth, I can't wait to go over and say hey. And here's Dave. He'll understand. Because we were, we were actually talking to uh, Christian Tierney there a couple of weeks ago as well and he was kind of saying that like, you know, he went on tour with, with Niall Horan and he was saying that he just like very quickly got this idea of burnout where you're taking pretty much the same photos again and again and again. And I know you were, you were talking about like Arcade Fire and stuff as well. I mean, that must be one of the hardest parts of the job, right? This thing where you start getting really tired of, of mm. shooting fairly similar stages every every night. Like, it must be really difficult, right? Well, with Arcade Fire, that was the most difficult job I've ever done, but it was for kind of different reasons. I didn't have the burnout moment. I had um, the oh my God, I'm shit at my job moment. Because um, how I went on tour with them was a little bit different. Um, they, someone recommended me to them and they booked me just to do the Dublin show. And then long story short, they really liked the pictures and booked me to do the London shows. Mm. And then at the London shows, I was doing three nights in Wembley with them and they have a creative director who would be kind of my boss. They'd be like, she'd be like my go-to person that tells me what the specific shot list is for the night and tell me what she expects to get from me. And then she'd revise my pictures every night and tell me yay or nay. And if, you know, an hour after they come off stage, I have to present them with 10 to 15 shots that will go immediately to press. And she approves them. And then, you know, maybe six hours later, I'd have to deliver the rest of the 200 photographs. Um, so it was the first night of Wembley. And um, I thought like, oh, my God, these these people are really cool. They like my photographs. That's why I'm here. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Mm. Brilliant. I was so confident and wrongly so um, because she kept saying no. These are wrong. These are wrong. These are wrong. These are wrong. So I was in like hotel in London on my own, really being crushed um, time and time again. So I'd sent her three different batches of photographs and I she kept refusing them. And then I didn't hear anything back from her after about 4 a.m. And I was like, okay, maybe this is okay. Um, But I instantly got on Skyscanner and started looking for flights back to Dublin because I was so certain that she was going to fire me the next day. I thought she was going to hire another London photographer and that it was going to be so cutthroat and then I was out of there. Um, So 
she didn't do that. I, I rocked into the venue the next day for sound check and she was like, cool, yeah, grand, everything was normal. And I think in a way that she was kind of testing me to see how strong I could be in the face of criticism, which worked out well then because they brought me on the rest of the European leg. Um, but I always had that fear in my mind. So, and they're, they're always, uh, she particularly is brilliant. She's an artist herself. So she's super critical of, of photographs and she know what will land and what will land well. And she knows how the, how best the band look and what different angles and different light and all this kind of stuff um, so each day of that tour I would sit down and revise my own photographs from the night before I would trawl through them meticulously I would watch the sound check and I would be there with my notepad and I'd be making notes about who does what during each song because RK Fire it's not like a pop band everything isn't in sync they change their set last minute mm. about say 30% of the set will be different than the night before so there's like 30% new songs I haven't even seen before I haven't heard before and different lights and different video reels and everything for that so I'm just like winging it um so I'm watching Soundcheck for the new songs, making notes, finding new vantage points. The stage rotates. It's all... An- <laughs> <laughs> They're throwing <Jesus>. noise <laughs> on me. <laughs> Genuinely, it was the toughest, but every single day I had to keep learning and having to... I also tr- wanted to really represent their sound in my imagery. And yeah, to yeah. do that, then I started bringing in... Um, uh, fractal prisms and stuff like that that I thought would match their sound. Yeah. Um, so... I didn't have a chance to get jaded or anything like that. I had to just keep going. Yeah. They kept me on my toes massively. Like that seems such an, an interesting kind of angle for it. I mean, you're kind of talking about how you're, you're a gig photographer. I always think is like doing two jobs, right? You're picking like basically you're trying to reflect the artist. For instance, your Bad mm. Bones, the support slot for the for like Galaxy, you like nailed her. Like that was like a really amazing photography. <laughs> and then like when you're catching that, but then you're also trying to catch the room. Is that like a thing that you have to think about? as well like yeah 100% because you want the viewer of my photograph if they happen to be in the room for that show they want I want them to feel the same emotions that they yeah. felt mm-hmm. so I want them to look at that photograph and go that's exactly how that gig was that's crucial to me yeah. and you can only do that if you do know the music and you know like I look back at Arcade Fire I look back at the Galaxy Pictures and I know what song they were playing when they're doing each move because that's <laughs> oh, how yeah. it, the, yeah, that's, that's how important yeah, like, it yeah. is to me so I almost know you know if someone has an O shape on their lip I know what they're singing Yeah, 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 um, yeah. and I think fans will be able to spot that as well yeah. Have you cool. ever like gone to a gig where you're just like, oh, this is going to be fucking boring? I mean, like, the, the, this band aren't visually dynamic. I mean, yeah. um, found yourself kind of surprised or even come away and being like, actually, maybe there wasn't more to this. Because, I mean, I guess a big show like Arcade Fire and like big bombastic shows, arena shows, whatever, like, they can be their own kind of incredible thing. Like, I was at David Byrne last week and it was just this, this ridiculous thing. I've never seen anything like it before. But a lot of gigs can just be plain black background and, you know, four lads with guitars. I mean, how do you make that interesting? It's really easy. You just engage with the music. So if it is a really intimate show and if it is just one dude or one girl with an acoustic guitar and one single spotlight on them and the light doesn't change, then you just wait for the emotion to come across their face. So there's a moment where they're going to go really quiet and and the room's going to go really quiet and you can see that across their face. So you get in as close as you can without disturbing the audience and you just wait for that 
so hopefully you know the songs or you can just feel it in the air and you know when that's coming and that's when you ever so slightly snap. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Arcade Fire, like that's all access, but like how do you feel about restrictions? I mean, for example, like whether it's Beyonce being like either you get one song or you get like 30 seconds or, I mean, are you like, that's a great challenge or are you like, fuck you? Well, Beyonce did give us 30 seconds. You know that. I I think I've told you this. 30 seconds. seconds. (laughs) That's ridiculous. Yeah, I know, right? And this was in 2008. And you're not told what 30 seconds we did we had to queue up for about two hours beforehand the tm the tour manager wanted us there really early so he could meet us all and vet us all and then um we had uh got given like big burly bouncers to accompany us into the pit and we were told they had the bouncers had um a stopwatch with them and they were like okay from the moment that Beyonce says the word baby in the intro song <laughs> you've got 30 seconds oh my God. I was like I don't really know this song and then she just rocks out with baby I was like ah <laughs> I just started shooting and um, yeah and it's a challenge and it's a challenge that I love um, I'm on the artist side to be honest um, restrictions are in place for a reason um, and the reason is that there is so many music photographers in the pit these days. So if you were to give them unrestricted access, it would just be a disaster for the fans. Nobody would enjoy it. And you'd be distracting the artists and you'd be taking away from the entire show. So there's no point in doing that. You have to preserve the like the reason that you're there and you're there for the music. You want the artists to be able to perform and do the best that they can. And I want to enjoy the show as well. Like, yeah, so course, I want yeah. some time off. So if I get given three songs, amazing. I'll just go and watch the show you then. You can't always be on the side of the artist though. Like there must times <laughs> when you're like, like, come on. Like, I mean, this no, is No, just... like in those circumstances, I'm on the side of the artist. I'll always be on the side of the musician because I'm there for the tunes. Like, um, I've never had anyone be... Okay, the only time I'm not on the side of the artist is when they... Um, want you to sign over your copyright mm. Um, mm. after each show. So you go as a photographer and you create art for this person or for yourself and then you have to sign it over and you have to give them all of your raw files. And I'm like, that's just aggressively greedy. You can mm, stop yeah. that now. You have enough money. Let us create what we want to create. And by all means, I'll sign a contract that says, I won't make merchandise. I'm not going to sell your calendar. I'm not going to I'm not going to turn this into, you know, I'm not going to put your your face on a t-shirt and sell it like that. The I'm Beyonce not. calendar with the same <laughs> photo. <laughs> <for> <laughs> 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 over and over and over. Um, so like, by all means, I think people just need to trust and respect each other more like yeah. we're artists they're artists let's work in tandem together and get the best that we can is there sorry is there enough protection for photographers even like in the live arena because I mean obviously there was a big story about a year ago when Josh Homme from Queen's Sony basically kicked a photographer in the He's face I mean like is this one of the things where you're like wow well you know that's the territory I mean has it like over the 10 years I mean like have you found that it's become more or less or like just a, I mean I, obviously you've got security at big gigs but like do you ever feel like oh Jesus this is this, this could get, get dangerous around. yeah I, I'm a, di- I'm, I'm a like. devil for the mosh pits like so if one <laughs> forms around me I'm in it um, but the only injuries I've ever really gotten um, were totally accidental so like Beck stood on my fingers before but that's fine and um, <laughs> but what is he'll do that he'll yeah, do, that's yeah. a Scientology move I'm telling you <laughs> <laughs> wait Beck's a Scientologist yeah I'm wow <laughs> um, but I've I've had two separate black eyes like on, on separate occasions um, and but they were given to me by press photographers in the pit oh no way yeah like not intentionally just in your way kind of just because I'm five foot two and they're six foot two and I'm perfect height for an elbow in the eye <laughs> and they do this thing where especially press photographers like some of my 
best friends are press photographers and I'm obviously not talking about them I'm talking about the ones that are just not used to shooting music and then they see you know Damon Albarn booting it across the stage and the, their first instinct is to run oh my god run after the artist where if, if someone who's used to doing a live show will be like well if he's running that way he'll run back this way in a yeah. second so I'm just going to camp here for yeah, a while yeah. so I've gotten black eyes in the scrum and I'm like oh god but Jeez. yeah Apart from like protecting yourself, protecting your own copyright. I mean, we talk about calendars, but haven't you like? It's, do you occasionally see your own work being like sold in random ways and stuff? Haven't you had like weird instances where your images have just popped up in like merch and you're like, what? You guys have done your research, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> Speaking to you previously. <laughs> um, um, I saw the Green Day fan club were selling a calendar of all of my images. After of a Dublin all of your show. images, <laughs> yeah. Oh my god! After a Dublin show, and I this was years ago. Actually, this I, I don't know, it must be about at least six or eight years ago, okay. and um, someone made me aware of it. And initially, I was really annoyed, and then it kind of dawned on me that this is really nice. And it's really flattering that, I mean, because I put myself back in the headspace of being that fan, of being the president of fan clubs, which, you know, I was. And was it what <laughs> fan clubs? Placebo, no, was it? No, no, not saying. Well, yeah, definitely was placebo. Like. <laughs> <laughs> but like my, lo- dark my there, locker you know? in school, like you opened it up and it was a shrine to Brian Moko and uh, Richie Edwards. And these were all photographs that, um, you know, enemy photographers uh, would have taken like Scarlett Page who I idolised and I loved her work enough to cut it out and stick it up on my locker and anything that she did I'd put it in my locker and I I loved it so I just kind of thought like that's actually pretty cool that these Green Day fans are doing the same about Mm. me now so I cooled my jets and went that's a-okay with me (laughs) (laughs) Um, with the upcoming kind of gallery and everything um, you put up a fund it Mm. Was it really, really difficult? I just remember talking to my Apes and Fire Like Apes when they did their funded as well. It must they, be so nerve wracking and weird and like it's really awkward and uncomfortable. Yeah. But Fire Like Apes did a massive one. They did like because yeah, every time yeah. I log into my fundit now, the only other thing I've actually funded on fundit was the Fight Like Apes thing. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I see their update every yeah, day, yeah. and I'm like, yay, they got it. <laughs> um, but uh, it's it's awkward. I'm I'm not really a person that likes asking for help for anything. Of course, yeah. Um I I like chancing my arm and trying to get things in every way possible and I didn't want this to be a handout kind of situation. I didn't want people to think I was just looking for free money. Yeah. Um so I had to really reset that in my mind that I'm not looking for a handout. I'm looking to as an opportunity for my Instagram fans to make a deal with me. And the deal is if they invest in the show before the before the opening, I'll give them a print at a discounted price. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's like, here you go. You're being honest. You're being generous with me and you're supporting me. And for that, I'm really grateful. And here's your discounted print. So it's going well. It's going really well. I think I'm on like 6K at the moment. So, yeah. 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 And the show's cost me about 12K. But sure, we won't worry about that. <laughs> sure, look. You're also doing Sorry. kind of a workshops and Q&As uh, as a kind of a side angle to this. And I know you've been, you're particularly encouraging women to take up photography as well because you're running a new kind of... Women's camera club. Yeah, that's what it's called. Uh, I, I was going to say gang. And I was, like, I was like, that's ridiculous. It's street toughs. Yeah. <laughs> Support your local girl gang. Yeah. yeah, it's a real West Side Story situation. Yeah, like, so what's the story there, Ruth? 
Um, basically, it's really selfish reasons because I'm constantly surrounded by a load of men and I wanted to change that, so I'm having a women's camera club. Join this uh, three-man interview yeah. right now. Like. See? <laughs> See? Where's the women? Um, so, yeah. We're trying. We're trying. We're trying. I've, heard, I've, uh, I've read the comments. <laughs> really? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so you're looking for a co-host. Hello. No, not necessarily. Yeah. No, we work on co-hosts as much as we possibly can. And, uh, I mean, like... Yeah. Just keep adding to the crew. Keep adding to the crew, yeah. We're just independent punk band like the Wu-Tang Clan <laughs> yeah but back to the exhibition though <laughs> no I mean I, I don't think that is selfish I mean like that like you referenced like that enemy, enemy photographer who clearly had a big inspiration on you and she did yeah and I reached out to her a while ago because I found her on Twitter and I sent her a message and I was like dear Scarlett oh my god I love you <laughs> and it just went on a bit like that and I, I just did the typical like I've followed you since I was a teenager and I saw your name and I never knew anything about you but you were a woman doing the job I've always wanted to do and I wanted to say thanks and she was blown away and like we kind of made a deal that next time she's in Dublin I was like dinner's on me kind of stuff and mm. that's I love that about social media but she was a big um, inspiration um, to me and I kind of it's not that I, I want to be that to other women no I wanted to have um, a forum a space that we could all meet and maybe just talk about um just talk about cameras and get really nerdy without a bunch of lads going, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because unfortunately, that's kind of what camera clubs are. Um, I started going to camera clubs when I was about um, 14 and I was probably too young to be there anyway, but it was all middle-aged men and I just I couldn't find my gang and I still couldn't find my gang up until now. So I was like, right, well, let's just make one. Um, and the response has been amazing. Yeah, there's loads so of women. There's, there's there's press photographers, there's fashion photographers, there's sports photographers, um, there's everyone. And then there's also... Um, junior photographers, amateur photographers who want to learn more. So we kind of pair people and be like, oh, you want to get into fashion? Well, why don't you get mentored by so-and-so? And And then so-and-so gets an assistant and it's all all really good and it's really natural and it's just, it's evolving in a really nice way. Um, So yeah. If somebody wants to check that out, how do they, where do you We have a group on Facebook. It's just the Women's Camera Club. Great. Um, And then if anyone has any questions about it, they can just holler at me on Instagram and I'll, Awesome. talk forever on that dedication I presume is a huge facet of that and I guess lastly just with the exhibition coming up I know you kind of said before that you kind of hit I wouldn't even call it like some kind of crisis of self or anything recently but you were kind of talking about like I, I might give this up I might move on from photography and like, for me reading that I was like uh, like Ruth is photography so that'd be bizarre I mean like has this exhibition kind of revitalized you like I mean or is this is this the final chapter Ruth is it is what <laughs> <laughs> um I'm definitely considering taking a leave from a certain type of photography. This exhibition, um, it was a way to dig myself out of an emotional hole. Because I use photography as a crutch. I'm very open about that. I use it to just help me through difficult situations. And I'm the kind of person that needs to throw myself into my work in order to survive. Um, which is probably obvious to anyone looking at me because I work seven days a week. Um, so if I ever stopped, I might die. But I'm kind of looking forward to that a little bit. Um, in the new year, um, I'm having another exhibition that is very personal. And it's a completely different um, subject matter than live music photography. It's um, it's it's fine art photography and it's all self-portraiture. Um, it's very, very different. So I wanted to get this out into the open and I did want to celebrate this year because career-wise, it's been a really great year for me. Um, so I wanted to just acknowledge that and celebrate a little bit um, before 
I go off to do something else that's okay. going well, to really freak it. people We'll out. leave it on that mysterious <laughs> note. Look forward uh, to it. Ruthless, yeah. a decade of live music photography takes place at the Fumble of the Exchange on Dame Lane in Dublin 2 from Friday the 23rd of November to Sunday the 2nd of December. Be there. Yay. Ruth, thank you so much for coming thank here. You right. Thank you, guys. Thank you. And now it's time for our album of the week. Tom York doing a film soundtrack <laughs> for a horror remake. <laughs> Two and a half hours long. <laughs> the album itself is 80 minutes long. Don't mind if I do. <laughs> well, I guess we're all going to hell tonight. <laughs> was unmade off the soundtrack to Suspiria, the remake of the 1977 Dario Argento Giallo classic. The Ooh, new nice pronunciation, mate. I'm pretty sure it wasn't accurate, but I enjoyed it. <laughs> um, yeah, Luca Guadagnino, who made Kami by your the name. Park, <laughs> uh, beloved indie director has taken on this film. It's a remake. It's a very loose remake. I'm a, I'm a fan of the original Suspiria, and I've been hyped about this film. This is a film all about atmosphere. Dahi and I saw it on Halloween night. And yeah, shout out to Norma Howard of uh, Lighthouse for sorting us out with tickets. Thank you very much. That was very appreciative. Yeah. Um, it was strange to kind of be there like a week before it comes out and be like, oh, it's Halloween. Everyone's dressed up. Everyone's in a good mood for a good time. And it's <laughs> it's a very unpleasant film. So but I guess, Craig, I mean, like through the prism, we wanted to see it, especially because we, we desperately wanted to see how the music tied into it. So, yeah, Tom yeah. York has ha, ha, was called upon to create this. Like, I guess, is this like technically his first solo album? I mean, like, does this count? Like, is this? Oh, no, like he's released. Well, I mean, this is his... modern box. Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 course, two, yeah two previous solo efforts. But this is definitely a his, no. This is his, this is his first um, film work. Obviously, Johnny yeah. Greenwood's had massive success in that field. But yeah, this is him kind of stepping into a totally new field for himself. Um, it's quite interesting as well because he had an interview on on Made of Vale, um, sorry BBC Radio One um, in Made of Vale, yeah. uh, and he was talking about how it was like one of the first times where he like everything that he wrote he was asked to write if you know what I mean yeah. so he, so people kind of gave him he was like you have to do this thing and also he said that one of the most freeing things about this album is the fact that he's not writing about himself at all he's writing on a totally different thing which is like a really interesting kind of avenue for him yeah um, and like before we get into the music of it I, I did think a lot of that helped what he was doing in terms of where previous solo stuff he's done occasionally to me felt a slightly fussy or like he was trying too much or I think just his direction on this. Now, I've loved a lot of that stuff, but mm. just uh, there was occasions when I felt like he was overreaching or overthinking. I think the direction he had here just totally freed him up, and it's it's very skeletal work. Okay, well, I guess before we get to the album, we should probably talk about the visual element of it. So, Craig. Yeah, which what? I'm completely lacking. <laughs> yeah. Why do you quiz us on the movie itself? Um, so, I've seen the original, but by all accounts I'm hearing, it's very different in tone. Yes. Um, there's a few <coughs> plot points, but mainly it's the approach to... Why are they different even plot points? Yeah, okay. Yeah, it pretty much like 
takes the tenets of the original and yeah. then remixes it. So totally different location. Yeah, the original is set in a dance school. So is this one. But essentially, there's a killer stalking the dance school, and it turns out at the end there's something much more nefarious and supernatural going mm. on. From the off, it is revealed instantly, practically, that no, there's something nefarious and supernatural going on. There's a coven of witches headed up by the always brilliant Tilda Swinton, who plays three different roles in this <laughs> film, by the way, and does it expertly because Tilda Swinton's always my go-to for like who could play this who could play that she can do anything yeah yeah, yeah I yeah. think she's a fucking treasure and no less in this film she just yeah. commands the screen as always I found her genuinely scary I found this film quite scary I did actually find it like you know because like, I saw the recent Halloween remake and I was just like I noted how like it's not scary there's no dread there's nothing there's no weight to it you either have it or you don't and this film which has flaws I was unnerved. I was kind of scared in places. Were you? For me, like, this film has stuck with me. Like, I mean, we, we saw it last night, and all day long, I cannot stop thinking about How'd it. How'd you sleep? I, I actually slept pretty well. I slept pretty well, <laughs> and this is kind of the thing. It's like, there's obviously these incredibly uncomfortable, really, really scary moments, and I was generally, like, quite scared in certain points where there's, tell. like, there's, like, these, like, yeah, I was, I was, like, I was like, shaking beside you. he grabbed my hand at once. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't there's in the cinema. These, like, I, I put my arm around him. <laughs> they, yeah. use, they use the kind of a, like a the kind of the, the medium of dance to like do certain things that like are just really super super uncomfortable and murder like, people. <laughs> well, there is a standard sequence. I don't want to give too much away, but yeah. people have been talking about. It. There is a yeah. standard sequence in the film where while Dakota Johnson's character and she's also brilliant in the film, by the way, mm-hmm. incredibly physical performance by her, an actor who like is only now starting to kind of get her due because like she did Fifty Shades. And everyone was like, oh, she's carrying some fucking bimbo, but she's actually a bit of a fearless actress and like yeah. really really good to watch on the screen. Commits to the role, and like everyone in this film, even Chloe Grace Moretz, who's got a small role, and I'm not a fan of her. Like everyone's perfectly cast. I yeah. think everyone looks great. It's a film that's it's populated almost in, pretty much entirely by women. Because I mean, again, this is out there. People know this, but mm-hmm. like the the main male character in the film is an old man played by Tilda Swinton yeah. in makeup with under a pseudonym. Yeah. Um, so that is fascinating in and of itself, is that we have this kind of, like, this isn't going to be a big money-making film, but it is a huge enterprise, and men are barely an aspect of it. If anything, they're kind of treated like a joke. Mm-hmm. Um, and made by a male director. And I, I have read some criticisms of people being like, it would have been so much more revolutionary if it was a female director there, because I think in the end, uh, Guadagnino kind of loses his way, and he does for me, I, I, I will admit. But as a sensory experience, there are three sequences in particular that just will never leave my brain. This is the thing. And yeah. the first one is that dance sequence where Dakota Johnson is dancing like a whirling dervish, and in a room nearby, someone has been encased into this room, and it's played by, uh, I looked this up, I assume this was the case, but played by a professional dancer and kind of contortionist, and mm-hmm. uh, she, something horrendous happens to her physically, and it's extremely difficult to watch, and amazingly well pulled off. And deeply unpleasant. Yeah. And I, I think one of the main points as well to make is that, like, throughout all these these ones, part of the thing that makes it so iconic and part of the thing that I can't, because I can't get it out of my head now, is because of the soundtrack. Like, I think the soundtrack does such an incredible job it does. Of, of doing these moments where, like, oh, there's, like, this incredible, like, the, the high points are these things where it's supposed to be very, very scary, but there's this kind of, like, this overrunning theme of almost, like, this kind of like like a rebirth and everything like like fixing itself and the, like there's certain music I mean Unmade that we play at the start of the this segment like is just absolutely an incredible song I absolutely love that song and seeing the film and then coming back out out of it it is going to be one of my favourite songs of the year same with miles. actually like Suspirium which was the first yeah. piece of music released off this and I think we were all quite taken by it mm. but it works 
it fits so well as the main motif. It fits so mm-hmm. well as the opening credits, and then it kind of comes back towards the end. And I think the film closes with it as well. Yeah. And it is a signature thing. I mean, like for me, the film. I mean, like not to make this too much of a film review versus a music review, but I guess it is both those things. So deal with it, listener. <laughs> um, for me, uh, the script, like as always, like the script is, is your fucking king, and it lets it down a little bit, or queen in this case, and it lets it down a little bit because I just feel like the director goes down some blind alleys that he didn't need to go down. I think it's way too long. It's like 152 minutes and you could lose 52 as far as I'm concerned. Or no, no maybe not that many, but like keep it down to two hours if you can. But essentially... <laughs> Buddy, I've got things to do. I've got, I've got a, 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 take, take, on, take it in two hours. Pressing engagement. <laughs> I've got to be at the four seasons by uh, quarter past midnight. But it's just, it just, it's too much movie. There's too much in it. But what works, works exceptionally well. And as we've kind of been saying, it is all about atmosphere. And actually, the music, at times I found myself going, oh, the music's being used quite sparingly. I think it's used just right. And the dread and the gloom that comes into it, like, this is a visual feast. This is a sensory experience. On those levels, it's a five-star film. As a mechanical, moving parts film with stories and plots and what they chose to focus on, it's a three-star film for me. The album, however... Yeah, well, cheers, fellas. I was listening to this on the train, on my commute, going, oh, God, I wonder what this is soundtracking. This doesn't sound good. <laughs> Sounds like someone's in trouble. <laughs> uh, uh, you, you were probably right. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, because they actually do. There's, like, certain tracks where they actually keep the sound effects from the film in, right? Yeah. There's, like, oh, entire... Yeah. Which like... is a callback to uh, the original soundtrack by Goblin, which was this experimental crazy thing in which people were like, which, which, which? Like, it's great, so. uh, yeah. The original soundtrack itself is iconic, and it's really, it's a lot, it's more kinetic, I guess. It's, it it's rockier, more, yeah. it's, it's a totally different vibe, like, yeah. This feels like Tommy York constructed a maze and got lost in it and then found his way out again. Mm. Yeah, there's like, there's kind of a very, as, as an album, it's quite interesting because it obviously feels like there's these like very clean cut, perfect songs, and then they're mixed together with these like very long extended interlude kind of things. And then at the end, it kind of, like the last couple of tracks as well are kind of, they're almost just like... I don't know, like atmospheric sounds or whatever. They're not even songs or whatever. So I think like if you're listening to it as a whole piece, um, again, I'm going to be doing the Craig and like taking pieces out and turning it into an album myself. Again. <laughs> doing the Craig. Doing the Craig. <laughs> well, it is a series of movements. I mean, so how did it work for you purely on, on a sonic level? Um, I was impressed how much the kind of more incidental passages didn't feel kind of like incidental, but obviously I was kind of listening to a blind. So I was trying to find ways of like, I didn't quite know how to approach the environment of how I should be listening to it because a lot of the problem was I didn't quite have enough like silence and stillness to fully appreciate it you know like the dynamics like a lot is what's missing and the gaps and I guess what's going on with the action Um, it was obviously way too long of a listen missing the visual elements but Obviously, particularly the fully formed songs, like Unmade is one of the songs of the year. I think it's just yeah. tremendous. It's, it's really incredible. haunting. Um, and there was a lot of it that reminded me of his previous solo work, but also like Radiohead were always a band that could do that horrific thing really well. And the Macabre and like, you know, Hail to the Thief or Amnesiac. They always painted these pictures, obviously not the location for this film, but in my mind, I was going to actually quite British things and like the horror of like you know in the hedgerows and the countryside and animals you know kind of just doing nasty things um so it worked for me in that way yeah I mean it's it sounds almost like well of course that should be the case but this did feel to me like a very it looked like they went to the 70s like they, they traveled back in time and just mm. the colors the, the way that it was lit 
the the color grading almost. I mean, every the attention to detail in this film is reflected in the music. I mean, there's no stone left unturned yeah. here, and it's like it's it's so ornate. It's late seventies Berlin, right? So yeah, it's, it and is, yeah. a lot of the synthier stuff. There's a Bowie poster the back. in there. At one yeah, stage. I mean, there's a lot of low kind of side two stuff going on here as well, which is great. Yeah, I mean, I, I even before I got to the film, I didn't actually find this over long because I did find myself swept away with it. I found myself quite captivated by it, and then listening to it after the film. Uh, while I was just trying to work today, I mean, it was hard to actively tune into it. I mean, like like an album of that length, regardless of who it is, whether it's this or whether it's Lil Wayne, you're going to have to commit to it. Mm. But I think that this is an absolute masterpiece. I, I, I think this is one of the best albums of the year. The strongest moments, uh, as, as we said already, is is these moments where, like, you know, it's almost just Tom and the piano and stuff. And like, I mean, I'm a, I've been a huge fan of Tom York for years, and he has this like, if you go on YouTube, there's an amazing video of like this 40 minute cut that somebody has done of him just playing with the piano. There's yeah. also some moments that are very very ready similar like has ended that track yes. with the drums and everything apparently that's his son drumming apparently no way yeah, oh yeah, yeah. no no um, no York, yeah. York yeah. Um, but uh, and that's like a very very good very classic kind of Radiohead moment as well but I think you know I, it it really really comes together in total and, and I, I really really enjoyed it and for you it's also a case of go see the film yeah I would definitely encourage anybody to go see the film yeah it's out in a, in a week or two is it I think it's out on the 9th of November um, yeah. or maybe it's the week after uh, essentially if you're squeamish uh, think twice about it Bring a friend. Be aware that it's <laughs> be aware that it's quite meandering and long. Uh, I still think people should go see the film. I think this is a film that should be supported because there's enough in it. There's at least two or three moments that are legitimately incredible. I do feel at the end of it that I came away from thinking that most of it, most of the moments, it's a film of moments, and I felt that most of those moments meant nothing at all. The music, however, meant a great deal, and I'm going to award this one an eight point five out of ten. Oh, very nice. I'm going to refuse to give it a score because I feel it's unfair having not seen it. Yeah, okay, maybe yeah. I'll come, maybe fair. I'll see the film and come back with a score. You should go see that. the film. Yeah. Is this with your second second film? I've yeah. seen at least three films this year. <laughs> That's <Danny>. very very <laughs> big for you. It is. Yeah, it's what been a big they? year. Black Panther. <laughs> Black Panther, Avengers, and what was no? Did, did you actually go to two Marvel films? You never got the Craig. I never didn't, goes see, to I didn't go to the Avengers. No, we went to Mission Impossible, right? Yeah, yes. and there was a third. Okay. Um, what was <laughs> Avengers it? Mission Impossible? Suspiria. <laughs> like, oh, it was the Little Stranger. Yeah, okay, don't release me because oh, you, were, you were doing the thing. It was for work. work. Yeah. <laughs> Craig hates the cinema. Uh, I like the cinema. I just go see this. I'm busy, yeah, man. Yeah. I'll, give, I'll give it an eight point five as well, just for because this. I mean, as an album, you can't really. There's, there's parts that you're just going to have to take out if you're going to make it into a, like a proper album. I did listen as to pro- this... As opposed to a soundtrack. Yeah, know. I did listen to this last night watching The Exorcist and it worked quite well. Oh. How, how do you sleep? <laughs> like a baby. <laughs> <laughs> wait, 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 wait. You listened to this while watching The Exorcist? Yeah, I mean, it was a bit of overlap. It wasn't the entire thing, but yeah, I had it on the background and The Exorcist was on. I was like, oh yeah, this is a good vibe actually. I was trying to find my vibe. I was trying to find my pocket, right? The train wasn't doing it. Your Halloween vibe. <laughs> yeah. A glass of red, was it? <laughs> no, actually. Okay, no from red. one set of demons to another... Slipknot <laughs> are back with their first song in four years to kick us off with Songs of the Week. This song was called All Out Life. Give it a three, I'm gonna show you what I do. <laughs> <laughs> We're keeping that in. 
do you want to do that impression again, Slipknot, my Slipknot impression. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Like, let's just tell the truth here. You were in a fucking metal band back in the day. Yeah, I was, I've seen yeah, the yeah. photographs. I, I had a I had a bass called the BC Rich Beast, which you can look up. It looks like something Batman would play. It was very very good. <laughs> yeah, I was in I was in a metal band that was at one point called Keepsake. At one point, famed oh. guitarist Batman. It was a Slipknot necklace. I mean, I like this song. I think this is a good song. So this is Slipknot's first song in four years. Any anyone who listens to the show or follows me on Twitter or knows me at all will know that I'm a bit of a Slipknot fan. <laughs> yeah. That fandom hasn't. Waned. They're a good band, but like they're an excellent band. <laughs> I think this is great. I, oh, really? I thought you were going to go the other way. I was nearly happy no, there I, for a second. <laughs> no, I think it's fantastic. I could, I could do without the Fight Club at a wedding breakdown. Yeah, it's too long. It's like a minute it's too long. Five minutes and forty seconds long. You, when he gets in his Billy Joe holiday breakdown, when he starts chatting to the kids. Yeah, I don't need that. Yeah, I, I, that's me. Feels designed. I think he's going that, for like an orange crush thing, but he just ends up a holiday. For, it's, yeah. designed, it's designed for a live setting, clearly, <laughs> and I don't quite need it. However, I think this is propulsive in all the right ways. It feels like early Slipknot. It feels like Iowa era Slipknot. Corey sounds fucking excellent. The drums sound, sound so good. The drums sound incredible. The riff mm. is brilliant. It's a thumping, crushing Slipknot song. You're either in or you're out. And Craig, I feel like you're out. Paint by numbers, trash metal no kind way. of thing. No, I was just like, no. oh yeah, it's this not. is like what Metallica did so in the eighties. It's like Corey, Corey <laughs> kind of not as good. Corey I love his voice really, on it though. Yeah, yeah and, and this is the kind of thing as well. Like, I mean, you know, one of the um, the criticisms thrown at kind of metal stuff is that like, you know, the vocals are always very very similar, always like almost monotone throughout mm. a track or whatever. But Corey really proves that like you can do like three or four different things, right? Like, because he like works from a bottom like a vocal up to another, and like he almost does this like rap vocal thing where he's a couple of different flows in each. Time time and everything I really really enjoyed this I, I was going to say it felt like kind of like a rap track particularly yes, right, the way yeah. like the subject matter as well which I wasn't really on subject board matter for subject matter is really weird it, it's it was him like giving out about challenging you to all out life oh, it, it <laughs> no, felt no. very middle aged dude as like the new music isn't great it's him talking about how people should still listen to old music yeah, because which, it's really good which sounds like, like and a, he apparently the weirdest wrote, take ever because everybody listens to old stuff he, and gives he out about he apparently wrote it after Migos won some like rock award and he's like I'm not having that and I was like really you're doing a bit of a lead me G on to it. be You're fair, this. Uh, to, to be fair, uh, like Corey Taylor as a personality has become increasingly irritating over the last even almost ten years. At this stage, uh, he's really embraced the kind of Chris Jericho style, like you know. <laughs> Um, like old man sheds a cloud whatever yeah. type thing and like developing a personality in that regard he makes really bad music with Stone Sour he does features that are usually forgettable and that's why I always worry when Slipknot return but there's just something about him putting on that mask he, like he clearly has the bit between his teeth for this and yet granted I don't give a fuck about a rap group or hip hop group winning a rock award I hate that attitude I hate that he comes out with that attitude it's, mm. it's really juvenile and silly but it sounds great yeah. And I, they're on, they're touring Europe next year. It appears to only be festivals. I'm so hopeful I get to see them for the fifth time. Oh, because they're one of the best live acts I've ever seen. Yeah, I, I love this band. Uh, I'm very happy that their their sixth album is en route. All I've been saying for the last few years is I want one more album, one more tour, and then that's it, guys. Put Pack the masks, then they have to stop. Put the, <laughs> ma- put the masks away. End on a high note. Leave a good looking corpse. Up next, Deer Hunter.
A band that I feel are Craig's Boys, Deer Hunter? Nah, no. Kind of. No, why do you think that? Well, if you don't like like angry, shouty metal-like, <laughs> here's some dreamlike indie for you. They're not Atlanta's finest, really, are they? Always had a kind of a bit of a soft spot, but they switch it up quite a lot in terms of their sound. And I, So I was never a fully committed fan, I'd guess. Yeah. This is an interesting one. Um, I kind of wasn't on board for the harpsichord, which... The harpsichord was a bit weak, yeah. But yeah. He, has, he has a really nice guitar tone, like, with that synth stuff towards the end. Is yeah, beautiful. it gets very, um, like, Robert Fripp kind mm. of doing that. Yeah, like, almost like an Ebo type yeah, yeah, vibe yeah. to it, which was good. Cool. And Lyrically, the, vo- the vocal mix and stuff as well. Yeah, really nice, he does have a tremendous voice. Uh, it's a bit it's quite bland, a soothing thing. Yeah, it is a bit bland. Uh, harpsichord basically doesn't work in a song unless it's classical music or it's, like, Paul McCartney. And that's, and that's that. Yeah, Harpsichord is cancelled. That's what we're saying. Oh, you and your cancellation. <laughs> Dahi has declared recently that his cancel culture you started. Dahi and Dahi pushing on his own. He told me recently that burgers are cancelled. <laughs> Bur- burgers are cancelled. Burgers are cancelled. Of all sort, like of all kinds. Uh, yeah, all, all the concept burgers. Of well, no, chicken burgers are, are 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 still going ahead. I can get on board with this because I don't, no longer eat meat. So yeah. that's literally a burger. I don't understand. No, no, no. Normal like like Bunsen you're, burger you're type classic. things are cancelled. We had a Bunsen quite. Yeah, recently. we have we have it too much. That's the issue. Never. Again. That's why it's cancelled. <laughs> right, okay. I mean, and his. his Save it for the po- no, no, no. food podcast. His, his, for, for With Relish on the Heads Up Podcast Network. I mean, like, no, Dahi's like, alternate suggestion was let's get a sandwich. And I was like, are you aware of what a burger is? Like, of, of what the constituent parts. Oh, but it gets weird. Like, in the States, like, oh, I can't believe I just said it. In the States. <laughs> in America. <laughs> yeah, I was just back from the States. Um, they you confuse there with your sandwiches pal, with burgers all the time. With your pal it's Peter very, Casey. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it's very confusing. Let's move on to the music. Yeah. Dave, did you enjoy this? It's grand. I yeah. think you summed it up perfectly well. Uh, <laughs> the next track is by Carly Rae Jepsen, Jeppo, to her friends. It's called Party for One. Time I thought you wanted me Was there no one else to kiss? Was it all a dream I let myself believe? I'm not So Jeppo is back. <laughs> Not to be confused with Gabbo from The Simpsons. <laughs> so essentially, I mean, this well is dry, isn't it? I'm, I'm so painful. Here's an upbeat pop song and I'm on my own, but it's grand. Let's all rock out and have a good time, guys. Is it about masturbation? Is it? She talks about loving herself. Yeah, it could be like the metaphorical. It's the way it's f- no, but it's the way it's phrased. I'm not on board with this. Are you on board with Carly Rae Jepsen in general? I have been in the past. I think she's had um, much more accomplished pop hits than this. I don't think this will be a hit because it's like... There's just way more exciting things happening. It's like. Yeah, it's insistent about that chorus and it's not doing it for me. Um, yeah. And yeah, this is cookie cutter stuff. Like it sounds cookie like cutter. so much else that's going on around and it's just not hitting those marks for me. Yeah, like I, I really, really found this very, very boring altogether. Um, yeah, I'm not much into it at all. It's just very, very, like even down to the structure of like she does this like breakdown. Right? Yeah. Like, as it was coming, I was just like, there's going to be a breakdown. I know for a fact. Yeah. And then they do like a kind of a clap your hands kind of breakdown of the second half of it and it's like oh gosh. it kind of felt like like she's a very specific audience that just adore her and it felt every, like her every move yeah, yeah like they're devoted to like the the jeppo and it's like i'm i'm just I've, i'm kind of like you know 
I'm seeing music critics just fall for this, and I'm like, really? You've heard it. You've heard it a lot. It's You've all heard it's, it's so her. Much. It's her shtick. But when we were talking recently about um, Empress of and just like coming out with tremendous pop songs that cut, tackle similar love things, but actually doing a subtle way and putting a new twist on it, and just musically and production wise, just as Dahi was saying, so much better things out there to be yeah. listening to. Seeger, Charlie X, yes, yeah. just well, like uh, yeah. playing Dublin soon, Empress of. Oh yeah, looking, can we go? Looking, yeah, we can go. Can yeah. she come on the board? I'll do what I can. <laughs> Up next, Cass McCombs? McCombs? Yeah, McCombs. McCombs. McCombs? Who is this person, Craig? Cass. Cass. The big C. <laughs> okay, well, here's a new track by him. Him? Yes. It's called Sleeping Volcanoes. I don't know, I, I don't know who this artist is. <laughs> what? Sleep, sleeping Volcanoes. <laughs> Who am I trying to talk about here? Uh, I genuinely, Cal- Californian uh, Troubadour is probably on his like sixth album. I've read the name before. You like a lot of his music. <laughs> Not <laughs> a lot. A I? song or two. When? Do you know the song County Line, which I'm slightly obsessed with? Can you sing it? It's fantastic. No, I can't because he sounds like, he does this falsetto on it that's like, he's almost like Shade and it's tremendous. Does he sound like Bradley Cooper in A Star Is Born? I still haven't seen that, but I'll check it out. Hey, I've heard the song, of course, and it's it's so forgettable I don't remember. Um, But yeah, he's... Um, very accomplished writer. I think he's great. I actually probably don't. I haven't followed his career as much as I enjoy him when I kind of dip back in. But he's returning with a new record, and this took a while to grow on me, to be honest. Yeah, me too. Track. Yeah, uh, um, it's but a it has grown on me. kind of song, yeah. isn't it? I really liked it. Yeah, it's nice. Yeah. It was quite nice. It was very relaxing. But we need more than nice guys. It's 2018. <laughs> well, he's you know it's in the territory of a Kurt file maybe or a war on drugs. Uh, it's a bit Mark Knopfler at times that kind of <laughs> sing speaky thing it's like he's like, about I to love, go into Romeo and Juliet I love how Mark Knopfler like for you is like some kind of like <laughs> ten ice there mate um, <laughs> on the Knopfler that, they were my it? initial thoughts but um, I think the bass line really carries it I, lyrically I think it's uh impressive as always with him like he's, he was talking about like sleeping volcanoes being just the people you pass on the street not knowing emotionally what's going on with them and just everyone's carrying their own sadness and their own frustrations mm. and that's a lot of what he does is like the simmering emotion and kind of just heartbreak between people yeah he captures it well um, and yeah I mean it's it's. I'm still excited about the record I will be listening to it he's got far more accomplished stuff County Line check it out if you haven't heard it because it's an incredible song I will. And lastly, this week in Songs of the you Week. have. <laughs> a team-up between Theophilus London and Tame Impala. Oh, are you sure? That's called Only You, not a cover of the Yaz record. (laughs) 
Dahi, you're a big Tame Impala guy. I am. I'm a big fan of this as well. I, I yeah, like that. yeah, this? yeah. It's good. So um, obviously, Parker's doing like a lot more. Um, he's kind of getting Parker, into Parker. My, my, my old buddy, my old buddy Parker. Parko. Uh, he's doing a lot more kind of this pop production stuff. Um, you can see he's working on a, a project at the moment with Mark Ronson as well. He's obviously doing a lot of production, and you can hear his production in this. He had a track or two um, on the Cali Uchis album this year. Yes, that's right. Really yeah, yeah. Tomorrow. So he's he's working on a ton of stuff. I think. Um, I really like this. It was kind of an interesting mix because I, I wouldn't usually. Have put those two people together um, you can hear a really really nice the way um, he does vocals sorry the way T- Tame Impala does vocals is on is on um, Theophilus his uh, vocal as well and I really really like that um, it's a bit of a jam yeah it's it's really good um, cover uh, obviously of, of Steve Monite's like it's an 84 song oh, really? and it's it's yeah it's really um, kind of faithful to the original in terms of arra- arrangement and stuff it's great I really like the version um if you listen to the original, you're kind of like, maybe this exists to bolster that appeal a bit. It's like when Ariel Pink did, um, do you remember that song Baby, which was like Donnie and Joe Emerson, who were the two guys in jumpsuits that like, do you remember this story of like, okay, so these two brothers were like living on a farm and the dad sold part of the farm to build them their own studio. This is back in the 70s. And they like got in like Elvis jumpsuits and had their own studio and made a really fantastic record that no one heard. And then it just kind of went missing for years. And Ariel Pink kind of revived it and Baby was this song that then became a big hit for them. This could, Steve Benoit had a much bigger hit with this, but I'd like people to go back and check him out. So yeah. Yep, it's a really good song. It's a really interesting mix, and I very much enjoyed it. I want to hear more from these guys, and I and I I'm ready for a new Tame Impala record. Apparently, there's one coming next year. Yeah, yeah, I can't wait. It's gonna be great. It will be good. Oh, the listening corner this week. I haven't been listening to anything else. Have oh. you? Uh, I listened. I've gone back to a lot of uh, Peter Broderick's earlier stuff. Um, it's very nice, calming, um, acoustic <laughs> type of music to kind of offset uh, the Tom York very scary, scary stuff for Halloween. I got the Mumford and Sons album in my inbox. Oh, really? Have you listened to it? Yet? No, <laughs> I haven't. <laughs> Will you be listening to it? Will, uh, will we? <laughs> I mean, in, in my in, in my guys, will we? <laughs> he asks. Tentatively, I'll in, see the film. <laughs> in, my, in my guys, as a music journalist, I probably have to, but I'm I'm broaching to the subject. Actually, no. I mean, to be fair, I've, I've been playing Red Dead Redemption too. Oh, yeah. A little bit. Arthur. Should I get that? Yes, you should absolutely. All right, okay. I'm gonna. Well, get, I haven't I, got I'm a game not that far into it. And there is some criticism that it's a bit of a walking simulator. Actually, and it's very relaxing. And it gets it's good. Very cinematic. It gets good. <sighs> Thirty-five hours in. Hold on. Apparently. Isn't there a new like D'Angelo song on this? Apparently there is. Yeah. And Erka does a lot of it as well. Oh, okay. That's yeah. one thing I will say. I haven't played music that much. Excellent. I haven't played that much of the game, but like atmosphere-wise, the music is fantastic. Oh, okay, I'm like, getting it this weekend. So yeah. Uh, make sure you have a hundred gig free on your PlayStation Four because that's much you need. What have you been listening to? Um, I haven't been listening to much either. Um, I checked out the Julia Halter record, Avery, which is, it sounds great, but it's, it was kind of background music for me, so I can't really give a full. But it's getting great reviews, so I'll check it out. Okay, that's No Encore for this week. A reminder that the No Encore Quiz of the Year hits the Workman's Club on Wednesday, the 19th of December, and tickets are up on Eventbrite right now, and they're moving fast. Next week on the show, the return of Cullen Morrigan and a tricky yeah. midnight chat with Gillian Casablancas. Mm. Our exit music for this week was chosen by Dahi Odroni. Uh, yeah, this is uh, Maria Somerville, um, a Galway um, musician and singer. Um, really, really great stuff. She went on a break for a while. Um, I think she was in college for a little bit. Um, but she's come back, and this track is is incredible. When I put it into the, the No Encore chat, I was like, this is very No Encore, because it does sound like that. Really, really nice kind of Irish elements mixed with a whole pile of atmosphere. Um, yeah, really, really nice. It's called Eyes Don't Say It. It'll play us out this week. My name is David William Hanready. 
This has been No Encore. There will be No Encore. And happy November, if you're into that kind of thing. <laughs> Winter. Just, just 50 shopping days to Christmas. <laughs> it's Maria Somerville with uh, Eyes Don't Say It. <laughs> Good night, guys. <laughs> podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Buying a home can feel like navigating uncharted waters. Redfin agents can help. They'll answer your questions with honest advice so you know exactly what you're getting into. They'll also help you tour as many homes as you want and show you what it takes to make a winning offer. With a Redfin agent on your side, you can sail straight to your dream home. Local expertise from Redfin. 
That's real estate done right. Tour subject to property and agent availability. Virginia Office Falls Church, VA. 844-759-7732. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.